0: Good morning, church family. Again, it is absolutely wonderful to see your smiling faces this morning, especially as we open up God's Word together. This morning, we will continue our voyage in Ephesians. We will be in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, where we pick up on the latter half of Paul's reflection, which started chapter 3. And if you remember from last week, Paul was about to pray for his readers to open chapter 3. Verse 1, he says this, For this reason, I, Paul, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles. But in verse 2, Paul suddenly doesn't continue his initial train of thought. But as some scholars point out, he begins to reflect likely on the fact that he is a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of the Gentiles. And in verses 2 through 6, he reflects that he was made a steward by God, He was called to tend to, he was called to manage, and to share revelation that God had given him. Revelation that was a mystery, but it is not a mystery anymore, as the revelation was in verse 6, that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promises of Jesus Christ through the gospel, and Paul was going to share that message. Oh, was he going to share it? He was going to share it clearly and boldly and without compromise, not watering down any of it, even in the midst of persecution, in order to serve well the God that had saved him. But today we see Paul begin to contemplate his own personal status in light of God's grace. And it is humbling. but That is not necessarily a bad place to be. In the comic series Calvin and Hobbes, the little boy named Calvin, he routinely asks his stuffed tiger Hobbes some really perplexing questions about the world we live in. As a little boy who takes in information and experiences, and then he tries to figure out exactly what they mean. On one occasion, Calvin asks Hobbes, do you believe in the devil? You know, a supreme evil being that's dedicated to pushing the temptation and the corruption and the destruction of man. And Hobbes looks at him and says, hmm, I didn't know man needed the help. Mankind, we are quite good at believing how special we are, how wonderful we are, and thus we neglect our need for a Savior. But that is not Paul's opening frame of thought today, and nor, Christian, should it be yours. Our thesis this morning, which encapsulates the three main points of the message outlined in the text, is this and it's a long one. Humbled by God's grace, Christians are empowered by God's grace to share the riches of Christ with the world, to display the wisdom of God to the world, and to maintain confidence in our God despite sufferings from the world. And I'll read it again. Humbled by God's grace, Christians are empowered by God's grace to share the riches of Christ with the world, to display the wisdom of God to the world, and to maintain confidence in our God despite sufferings from the world. Our text this morning is Ephesians chapter 3. We are in verses 7 through 13. I'd highly recommend all of you following along in your Bible this morning. If you do not have a Bible, that is okay. There are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And our text this morning is found on page 977. So I would highly recommend us all grabbing our Bibles this morning, turning to Ephesians chapter 3, verses 7 through 13, where the Apostle Paul writes, Of this gospel I was made a minister, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him so i ask you not to lose heart over what i am suffering for which is your glory let's pray Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you this morning for grace. We thank you for Jesus Christ and his redemptive work on the cross. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity as a body to gather together this morning to pray your word, to sing your word, and now to preach your word. Lord, I pray that the dear ones here, our brothers and sisters in Christ, that you soften their hearts, open their eyes and their ears to receive your word this morning, and then to go out and to live your word. The lives that we live, the testimonies that we make, Father, let them be covered, submerged, filled with the beauty and the brilliance of Christ. Father, I pray that you help me this morning. I pray that the Holy Spirit gives me the words to say. Use my lisping, stammering, sinful tongue. And I pray that we as a body bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Our first of three points this morning. Yes, you heard that right. Three points this morning is this, point number one, God's grace will lead to Christian humility and faithfulness. God's grace will lead to Christian humility and faithfulness. Verses seven and eight. It says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of his power. To me, though, I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul opens verse 7 of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of His power, by noting that He was made a minister of the gospel. He was called to preach Christ crucified to the Gentiles not by his own will, not by his own desire or his own fancy, but it was a gifting of grace that God alone had offered him. Church, just as it is God Almighty who changes our hearts of stone into a new heart, it was God Almighty, the sovereignty of our God, chose Paul to preach Christ to the Gentiles. This was not man's doing, And how do we know this? Verse 8, it says, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul says, look at my life. I am the very least of all of the saints. And think about it for a second. What are the worst possible things one could do to a Christian? Breathe threats of murder against the disciples? Check, Paul did it. Break into homes and drag Christian men and women to prison? Yep, Paul did it. Persecute the church? Wreck havoc against the church? Double check, Paul did both. So Paul is not speaking with pride here and then trying to cover it with a cloak of humility. No, instead, in tasting the grace of God, Paul realized just how deep the depths of his wickedness was. And for that reason, when Paul writes in verse 8, where he mentions that he is the very least, Paul says, I am the very least of all the saints, he uses a very rare word found in the Greek. And what Paul is communicating here. In the Greek, when he says that he is the very least of all the saints, Albert Barnes says that he's saying that he is not worthy to be reckoned among the saints. James Kaufman says that he is less than the least of all the saints. Church, when we taste God's grace, it is natural to be left in a state of awe. When we taste God's grace, it is natural to be left in a state of humility as we fathom the goodness and the loving kindness of a God who would save a wretch like me. It is not a bad place to be. It is a good place. But, 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 please note when Paul looks back, and he considers his sinful and his wretched and his depraved past, and he sees it in light of God's grace, it does not cripple him. It doesn't cause him to think that he's not good enough to serve God, or that he's too broken or too busted of a tool to be used by God. No, he understood the past was the past. And God's grace then, it compelled him toward faithfulness. Persecuting Christians, that was him before He tasted God's grace before regeneration. Now he is a new creation. He wrote in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul has been called by God to be a minister, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And this unfathomable grace that not only amazed Paul, it also compelled him to serve well because he knew that God saved him out of his power way of life. Or as Mark Donegan puts it, Paul knew he was undeserving of God's grace. But he realized that he still needed to use his gifts given to him by God for the glory of God. Thus consider Jesus' parable about the talents in Matthew 25. In this parable, a man is going on a journey and he entrusts to his servants his property. So he gives one servant five talents, he gives one two talents, and he gives one servant one talent. And just an FYI, a talent was equivalent to about 20 years of pay to a laborer. And when the master returns, he finds that the servant he gave five talents to traded with them and made five more. The servant with two talents, he came to the master and showed him that he had made two more. So the master responded to him and said, well done, good and faithful servants. But in verses 24 through 28 we read, He also, who had the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. Church, by God's grace, we have been given unmerited salvation. As Christians, we have been given given unmerited gifts and abilities that we have been called to use for God's glory. We should not be fearful of our master. We should not be paralyzed over our past sins or our past way of life. We are new creations saved by grace, empowered now by grace to use the gifts God has given us for profitable Christian service. No matter where we came from or no matter the sins that we were saved out of. Thus walk humbly and yet boldly into the areas of service that God has equipped you for. Forget what lies behind and strain forward to what lies ahead. Press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Do not dwell or be paralyzed by your past this morning, your past sins, or your past way of life, but use the gifts God has given you and press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God is Christ Jesus our Lord. Which brings us to our second point this morning. Christians are empowered by God's grace To share the riches of Christ and to live in a way that displays our unity in Christ. Verses 8 through 11. Paul writes, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. We open the second part of verse 8 with this. It says, This grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of of Christ. Paul was gifted. He was given the talents and the abilities, the grace needed to preach to the gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ. Church, you want a subject matter that we cannot plumb the depths of. You want a subject matter that our finite mites, minds will never fully be able to study. Church, do you want to know why I can stand up here each and every Sunday and preach Christ crucified? It is because the riches of Jesus Christ, they are unsearchable, or as your translation might put it, unfathomable or incalculable. Every Sunday, we can preach Christ crucified meaning that the whole of Jesus Christ his life his death and resurrection they are simply too vast for us to map out or to be able to measure completely as James Kaufman concluded think about it the riches of Jesus Christ they are indefinitely greater than the estimated 100 billion stars in just our galaxy And how do we know this to be true? Because Jesus Christ created every star in every galaxy in the universe. The beauty that is the hypostatic union of Jesus Christ, that he is truly God and truly man, it is simply too vast for our finite minds to grasp completely the depth of the love that Jesus Christ must have had for his children. It is simply too vast for our finite minds to grasp completely. The glory that must have been present at his resurrection, it is too vast for our finite minds to grasp completely. The Apostle John, he closed his gospel this way. He said, now there are also many other things that Jesus did Were every one of them to be written, I love this, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. Now, there are so many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. But this brilliance, this depth of Jesus Christ, his glory, this is what Paul had been called to preach. Even though there is not enough water in the oceans to fill the depths of the pool of Jesus' majesty, just as an astronomer teaches on the planets and the stars in the universe, Paul says, I have been gifted the grace by God to preach Christ, to preach this message to the Gentiles, and this I will. And his goal in verse 9, it was to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God. He wants to bring to light to all the world that the God who created all things, His plan, the mystery hidden in ages, it is to unite one people, Jew and Gentile alike, into one redeemed body via the unsearchable grace offered only through Jesus Christ on the cross. So, so in verse 10, and this church is where it just gets crazy. In verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authority in the heavenly places. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to rulers and authority in the heavenly places. Why did God take Jews and Gentiles People groups who had venom towards each other. People groups who had hostility towards each other and unify them, make them one in the church through faith in Jesus Christ. He not only did it, so that the unredeemed world could look at the church and wonder. He not only did it so that the unredeemed world could look at the church and want to be part of it, so they could have that love. He not only did it so that the unredeemed world would be evangelized by the church, but he also did it, it says here, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God would be revealed. Verse 10. To the rulers and authority in the heavenly places. Church, this is big. Like, really big, what's being described here. As the church, our witness, our unity, our oneness in Christ, God, verse 9, who is the creator of all things, he uses the church to display to the cosmos, to rulers and authority in the heavenly places, to the angels, his eternal, his abundant, and his manifold wisdom. Mind blown. Or to put it this way, Church, you have heard me preach some 15 times already, and you know if I love anything, it is a good illustration. We here, as the church, sharing and living and discipling and meditating and testifying the eternal riches of Christ as one united body made up of people groups from every tongue, every nation, every background, we here are the illustration And as John MacArthur puts it, he says, in the classroom of God's universe, God here is the teacher. The angels here are the students. The church here is the illustration. And the subject here, what God's teaching on, is the manifold wisdom of God. Church, we are part of that part of God's lesson, part of His demonstration, not only to the lost here on planet Earth, but to an onlooking universe to showcase God's eternal wisdom. So whether God is using the church to convict or to remind the evil angels that they have lost and their days are numbered, or whether God is using the church to showcase and to bring about confidence and celebration in the good angels that God's plan, or as verse 11 says, that His eternal Purpose. It was realized, it was accomplished in Jesus Christ. We as a church body must take seriously our call to be united in Christ as brothers and sisters in Christ because God is using the unified church in Christ to, as Clinton Arnold says, to reveal his plan to the powers in the heavenly places. Church, we have quite an audience watching and observing how we love as a church because it displays the wisdom of our God and how he has redeemed his people through Jesus Christ. Thus, please, please, please take seriously your call to be united as a church in Christ. It really does have eternal, it has cosmic ramifications that are far beyond our understanding. I don't know how you read this passage and not sit back and think, what an amazing God we have. Church, what an amazing God we have. Which brings us to point number three. Christian, hold fast to your amazing God even in the midst of suffering. Christian, hold fast to your amazing God, to our amazing God, even in the midst of suffering. Verses 11 through 13. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for, which is your glory. God has accomplished his eternal plan of uniting, saving, redeeming one Christian people to himself through Jesus Christ. It was verse 11 according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has already accomplished his eternal plan of uniting and saving and redeeming one Christian people to himself through Jesus Christ. Church, that is a fact. In verse 12 it says, as Christians we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. As Christians, in the same way a child can approach their loving father, we can now freely go to our God in prayer, knowing that our Almighty God, He hears us, and He listens to us. John 9, 31 says, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does His will, God listens to him. So, 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Church, we have an omnipotent, meaning all-powerful. We have an omniscient, all-knowing, sovereign God who has shared with us the unsearchable riches of Christ, verse 8, who has made us aware of His grace, verse 9, who is using us to share His wisdom to rulers and authority in the heavenly places, verse 10, who has accomplished His eternal purpose in Christ, verse 11, thus by faith we now have access to Him through Jesus Christ, verse 12. So why would our confidence in our God ever wane? Why would it ever dwindle? Why would it ever wither? And 13, Paul writes, So I ask you then not to lose heart over what I am suffering for, which is your glory. Paul says, yes, I am suffering. Yes, I'm in prison. Yes, I'm chained to a Roman soldier. Yes, there's suffering, and there's persecution, and there's doubt, and there's heresy all around us. But as Paul said in verse 1, I am a prisoner of Christ. Do not be upset for me. Do not be discouraged that I am in prison. This does not mean that we have lost. Be confident in your God. If I am suffering for the good or for the glory of God's people, it most certainly must be part of God's plan. And you're sitting there this morning. But Wes, how? There is so much suffering out there. There is viruses, there is death, there is sickness. It doesn't seem like God is in control. How can we be confident in a moment like this in our God? Michael Green, he offered this illustration. He said, The story has been told of a museum guide who would take his tour group to a darkened room He would shine a light on a mass of string and color and apparent chaos, and he would ask the group, what do you think this is? I don't know, was the inevitable reply. So the museum guide would then say, stand over there and watch. As the group moved over to the other side of the room, he would turn on a spotlight It was instantly apparent that the mass of jumbled, colored strings seen just earlier was in fact an enormous tapestry from the backside. The real work had to be seen from a different perspective to understand exactly what the artist was creating. So it is with God and his ways. We often look at them and ask questions. Why and how? not because there is not purpose in what God is doing, but because we are on the wrong side of eternity to be able to have the perspective that is needed to see the order and the pattern of God's work. Church God has already accomplished his plan in Christ. Thus, no matter the suffering, no matter the pain, no matter the questions that arise, take heart in the sovereignty of your God. Paul wrote this to the church in Philippi while he was in prison. He said, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Thus, be confident in God's eternal plan no matter the suffering no matter the pain no matter the sickness the stock market the death for we know that those who love God all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose we have no reason not to be confident in our God this morning he has already accomplished for us salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord As we close this morning, I'll begin with the non-Christian who is here. Non-Christian, you have heard me share this morning that it is the grace of God that empowers His children to share with the world the riches of Christ. That it is the grace of God that allows His children to carry out His will. It is the grace of God that allows His children to be confident in and His eternal plan, even in the midst of suffering. But non-Christian, I also want you to know it is also the grace of God that caused His children to see the depth of their sin. To see their sin and that it has separated them from God. It is the grace of God that caused His children to realize their need for a Savior. One who was able to reconcile them back to God through eternity. It was the grace of God that opened their eyes to Jesus Christ, who was God Himself coming into the world, taking on human flesh as the Messiah. Jesus Christ was and is truly God and truly man. And He lived a perfect life sinless and righteous life, a life that we never could. And he died willingly in perfect agreement with God the Father on a cross, paying the price for the sins of his children, a debt that we could never, ever, ever pay. And through Jesus Christ, his sacrifice on the cross, giving himself up on the cross, allowing God to pour out the wrath that we deserve on Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, he appeased the holy wrath of God toward his sinful children. It is also the grace of God that causes us to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That three days after his death, Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead. Displaying to the world that death or sin, it had no power, it had no claim over him or over his children through eternity. Thus, non Christian, let today be the day that you taste the beauty of God's grace by repenting of your sins, turning from your sins. And trusting in Jesus Christ and Christ alone is the only one who can forgive you of your sin. The only one who paid the price for your sins on the cross. The only one who can clothe you in his righteousness and reconcile you back to God through eternity. And today will be the day that you can leave here with a boldness, with a confidence that through eternity you will have access and communion with your Father. The God who created you. Let today be the day, non Christian. And to the Christian that is here this morning, verses 7 through 13, if you were here last week, you know that they are part of the greater context that we read in verses 2 through 13, which are Paul's reflection. Or as some theologians call it, his rabbit trail, if you will, concerning that he is a prisoner of Jesus Christ. And as you read this rabbit trail, as we have over the last two weeks, the one thing that is most obvious, it is that Paul values the grace of God as displayed in the gospel message as the most important thing in his life. So I'll ask you this morning, brother Christian, sister Christian, when you walked in here this morning at 10 o'clock or 10.15 or 10.25, was the Gospel the most important, the most valuable, the most precious, the most worthy thing to you? Or was it something else? Maybe it was your ego this morning or getting your own way. Maybe it was your happiness or your health this morning. Maybe it was your looks or your intellect or your wisdom. Maybe it was the aura that you give off when you walked in. The question is, do we value ourselves more this morning than the gospel of Jesus Christ? I have been saying for weeks that as Christians... We are one in Christ. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are citizens together. But church, I can promise you, we won't display to the world, to the cosmos, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places the manifold wisdom of God if we come together each Sunday and one values his own self-worth and one values her opinions and one values his preferences most of all. Church, as Christians, we must have our priorities properly aligned and value the gospel of Jesus Christ most of all. Klein Snodgrass, he noted that for the church, unity it is not the goal. It is a necessary byproduct based on our faith in Jesus Christ. Thus, if you are struggling with Christian unity this morning, if you have been struggling listening to the book of Ephesians, if you are one, struggling with one being one with your brothers and sisters in Christ, let us take a step back and lovingly let me ask, is the gospel the most valuable thing in your life or is it something else? Because if we as a church body, every one of us, are valuing the gospel over our own ego, And our own happiness and our own persona, unity, will be the byproduct. And we will display the manifold wisdom of God to the world. Thus, it is my prayer that we, as a church body, we put any ego, any lust for the world, any idols we have. Lord, I pray we just cast them aside and we value you, Jesus Christ, and your gospel message this morning more than anything. Let us see our identity not based on our profession or the amount of money we make. It's not based on our paycheck or the size of our house, but that it is in you, Lord. That it is where we boast. We boast in the Lord Jesus Christ and that we know our identity now and through eternity is in you. And Lord, let our witness be noticeable to the world around us, to those who do not believe and to the universe and to the rulers and authority in the heavenly places, Lord we cannot begin to fathom the depth and the riches and the vastness and the goodness of Your eternal plan. But you know what? That is okay. Just help us, Lord, to be faithful. Help us to be faithful in how we trust in You in the face of suffering. Faithful in how we share Your message to the world. And faithful in how we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let our confidence in your plan, Lord, pour over the brim of our lives in all that we do. And let our lives, let our words, our actions, and our testimonies display that such confidence before God is ours through Jesus Christ. To God be the glory for our rock, Jesus Christ. And let our boast now and forevermore be Christ and Christ alone let's pray heavenly father lord we thank you that we can gather as a church body this morning as the saints worshiping our savior lord there is so much that the mind can be ser- can be concerned about this morning the coronavirus and hurting for our brothers and sisters and wondering why death happens. Lord, we know why death happens. It is because of sin. And God, you came into this world. You took on human flesh. And Jesus Christ, he is our Savior. Father, you have accomplished your plan of reconciling Jew and Gentile-like into one body through faith in Jesus Christ. Let our confidence soar this morning. No matter what we see in the world around us, you are using it for the good of your people and for your glory. Let our confidence be in that this morning, that you, God, are on your throne. You are God, and you are good. Give us a boldness and a confidence this morning because of who you are, You saved us, God, not because we are good, but because you are good. Amen.